Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. Well, it's hard to believe that another year has passed since uh, the 41st Dakar Rally. We're now heading over to number 42, and it's officially titled Chapter 3 because we're on a new continent, a new country, Saudi Arabia playing host this time around. Welcome back to Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media, the special Dakar Rally edition with Toyota Gazoo Racing. It's uh, been uh, a couple of months since we've uh, been present, but uh, man, we're glad to be back. And I've got some special guests. We've got the usual suspects, Voldu van der Waal, my colleague, who will be in action on the podcast pretty much every day, hopefully, uh, unless uh, things uh, mess us up a bit, but hopefully that won't take place. And uh, we've got the legend himself, Graham Daxbury, motor racing legend from South Africa. Gents, uh, Voldu, I'll start with you. Can you believe we are back, uh, not back in uh, South America, but uh, interesting terrain we find ourselves in? Yeah, assalamu alaikum. I think um, coming to, uh, to, to Saudi from South America is a massive change in the race, obviously, but you ask can i believe it i actually can't believe it it feels like just yesterday that we were at dakar and you know the build-up and the preparation takes so many weeks and months to get ready to to come here that it feels like it's a perpetual dakar wheel that we're on at the moment yeah that certainly is the case dax uh, you're a longtime friend of the dakar rally also at toyota Zoo racing you missed out last year you back this time around um yeah what are your thoughts so far yeah, well, as I say, you say this is my seventh uh, rally, but it's uh, only been in South America previously. Very different temperatures. I think the, the biggest thing for me is that one thinks of Saudi as being a country that's always hot, etc. Instead of which, it's actually very cool, and the wind is blowing here like, a, like it blows in Camps Bay. Um, you don't need a jersey, but you certainly wouldn't want to go swimming at the, in this temperature. It's much lower than I thought. Yeah, I went to go look at the pool a little earlier to find out if we could maybe do this podcast from up there. But uh, it's gusting over there. It's, uh, I'm from PE, and I'm used to the wind, but I, I certainly wasn't used to that. Uh, Voldy, it's so great uh, being part of the Toyota Zoo racing fraternity heading over here. We go in as the defending champions for the first time, following a, a phenomenal 2019 with NASA capturing victory. Yeah, it's been a very good year for the team, starting off on a high. It's always difficult to think of Dakar as the, the start of a season. It always feels like it's almost the end of the, the culmination of a whole year of preparation, where it's actually, you know, the beginning of the year. Uh, NASA having won that, and then uh, pretty much every race that he entered, except for the Rally of Morocco, which was then uh, subsequently won by Janil. So for Toyota Gazoo Racing, an excellent year, uh, also in the local championships in South Africa, a clean sweep over there. So really, really arriving here on a high and a lot of hype around the team. Yeah, there's no question that uh, they go into this event in the car category with the target on their back. They certainly are the favourites, and they've just increased their team as well. Last year, they had uh, three riders, uh, three teams uh, taking to, to the sands of South America. This time around, four. Yeah, four, and that number four is a big one, of course, because we, we've stayed with the same crews in, uh, in the form of Nasser, Janil, and Bernard and Brinker with the various navigators. I'm sure we'll get into that. But then adding the fourth car, which has been getting a lot of attention globally uh, in the form of Fernando Alonso and his uh, illustrious navigator, Mark Omar, obviously someone who's won the Dakar rally five times on a bike. So, you know, uh, one rookie and, and one legend. Dax, what was it like following back home? I remember we actually featured you on the podcast uh, during last year's event. And following the race from there, as the South African-based outfits slowly edged their way towards victory, I say slowly, completely opposite of that. But, I mean, could you feel 
the atmosphere in South Africa, the, the, the tension? I mean, were they, they're certainly following the race, and, and the closer they got towards the, the finish line, are they getting slightly more amped? Yes, you know, I, th- I think the Dakar has been a big event for us. And obviously, because of the South African involvement from Glen Hall's team, plus Janil, obviously, having won it in 2009, which is, what, 11 years ago now, um, you know, there's, there's a huge amount of interest. But the one huge difference this year is we're in the same time zone. You know, the television last year, if I'm allowed to say this, was always that sort of day later. You know, basically, you guys were still competing in Peru and uh, in, you, you almost hadn't started. We were watching that night, so we were always a day behind. Now that it's in Saudi and there's only one hour difference, the news is going to be far more live, which is, is going to make a huge difference. Obviously, for somebody like me, I watched it all on the Internet anyway, so I knew what was, what was happening as it happened, whereas the, the, the majority of people would only watch it on, on television. So this year, it's going to be a much better production than last year, in my opinion. Yeah, man, uh... We've got to go to Alonso quickly. Valdu touched on it slightly, but uh, yeah, I mean, th- th- there's no question that he brings a whole new level of interest to the Dakar Rally. Uh, we know that it is a massive event in the motoring fraternity, but this time around, it, it is on a whole new level, Dax. Well, absolutely. You know, I, I, I've got to tell this story very quickly. A year ago, I went to Daytona when uh, Fernando was driving for Wayne Taylor in the, the 24-hour race, which they won. And at that point, he was talking about Dakar and was told me, because you got five days to talk, that he was looking at driving Carlos Sainz's car as a bit of a go and see whether he liked it or not. And I said, well, but if you're going to do it, you know, the, the, the car to be in, because we just won the, the Dakar, remember this is the two weeks after we'd won it, I said, come to South Africa, you're already driving the uh, Toyota in, in WEC, come and do it properly and have a look at it. And he said, well, okay, speak to my manager, which I did. And then obviously that's above my pay grade. They then got involved. And then as we well know, he came testing in uh, Uppington a few months later. And here we are today with a double world champion. And he's very, very competitive. Um, You know, he may not have the experience of the others, but believe me, he wants to do well. So, Valdi, could you say that we've uh, got Dax to thank for Fernando being here? We've got Ducks to thank for a lot of things in this team, so <laughs> let's not play down too much. You know, he's been instrumental in, in helping the team um, get to the first Dakar, and like you said earlier, he's been a friend and a supporter in various forms of the team ever since. For those listening for the first time, uh, Voldu van der Waal, uh, well-known presenter, producer of the works, but logistics-wise, I mean, you are a key man over here. I, I can imagine from your side, I know we travel every day, you tell us the headaches that were involved in, in getting the show on the road, but... Uh, months and months in the making and you said the turnaround between last Dakar and this Dakar well for us it's a year for you it was merely weeks yeah it seems that the team has grown exponentially this year because of the involvement of Fernando and and the global interest which means that we're now working much more closely with our colleagues in Europe as well um, and and that's brought its own challenges not not from them so much as, as as integrating them within the ASO structures and so on and and that took a lot of doing a lot of paperwork quite a bit of money as well and plenty of time well one of them is sitting right next to me he's just uh, joined us Ben Constantiduras uh, welcome aboard to the Toyota Gazoo racing side yeah thank you very much fantastic to to see Dakar from a different point of view if you've been following Dakar for the last few years you may recognize this voice uh, because the World Feed featured my voice for, I think, three or four years. Uh, but I've had a few years away from Dakar itself doing cross-country rallies in Abu Dhabi and other places. And now to be part of a team, to see how the team works from the inside, having known what it looks like from the outside, is, it's going to be really exciting. 
Yeah, you and I have very similar job titles as far as the presenting, producing voiceover stuff is concerned. However, you take it up a notch because you are a former racer yourself. Yeah, not off-road, though. Uh, that's another level. But yeah, I used to do a little bit of circuit racing. I wouldn't really put it high on my CV. Um, I wasn't particularly good. That's why I started talking about it rather than actually racing. But uh, it's good It's good fun to know what it's like from inside the cockpit, outside the cockpit. I just pride myself on knowing how things work generally i love the challenge of the dakar because of the logistics because of there's so much uh, more than just a race going on uh, it's a fascinating thing to see from behind the scenes as well as from the the race itself well, one man who was extremely good when it uh, comes to racing is Fernando Alonso. Everyone knows him from the Formula One world. And last night, he was certainly the man of the moment at the official press conference to launch Dakar 2020. And I caught up with him. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting now. And I think it's, it's time to race finally. And, uh, you know, we've been uh, preparing this moment for a couple of months now. And, um, you know, I think... Uh, we are 99% ready. I think you can be 100% ready for Dakar really, uh, but I think we did uh, enough preparation and uh, we are now focused on, on the race. What has the build-up been? I mean, obviously you're excited. For the last couple of months, uh, you've been testing with Glenn out in Namibia, in Morocco, event after event. But now we're just days away. The hype, are you feeling it? For someone who's experienced so much there is to experience in motor racing, what does this feel like? Well, so far, I still still calm you know I think still to wait two days away and uh, I know that maybe the pressure or the stress will come in the in the start of the first stage but uh, right now I think we have everything under control we've been preparing the race we've been having uh, we had some meetings uh, about the strategy for the first couple of stages and uh, everything is so well organized with the team and with Glean and everyone has so much experience my teammates as well that they are helping me a lot that I feel quite relaxed you know maybe uh, uh, it's going to be wild when, when we start, but uh, so far I think uh, you know, all the preparation has been quite, quite relaxed. And finally, you mentioned Glenn and the team. Uh, it's an all-star cast. You look at the likes of defending champion Nassau Latia, former champion Janiel de Villiers, Glenn Hall, uh, a team principal who knows how to win the Dakar. Um, you guys certainly have a target on your back. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, the team knows that uh, they are among the favourites and uh, probably is the best team uh, in, in Dakar and uh, they won last year. I think uh, with Nasser, the, there is a potential, the biggest favourite of the race. Jinil uh, won Morocco Rally two months ago. Uh, so I think we know that uh, we have the potential to be to be OK. Uh, obviously, Bernard uh, is a quick uh, guy as well and uh, we'll, we'll want to do a... Uh, a good uh, a good race and myself is more a, uh, an unknown a question mark uh, in terms of performance um, I think we will only know after five or six days that I think the race will will uh, will tell you know which ones they, sh they should be at the front and which ones not and hopefully we are one of those yeah certainly uh, exciting to hear from Fernando Alonso and geez just having a look at him last night Voldu I mean, we knew that the media scrum would be crazy, but I didn't expect it on that level. Yeah, it seems that wherever we go with Fernando, it's just a bunch of people everywhere. And it's, it's the uncanny how people, the media especially, seem to just pop up where he is. One moment there'd be no one, and then you turn around, the next moment there's a throng of people. But, you know, for, as from, from, from the team's perspective, obviously there's great value to that because, you know, he's a media machine and he generates a massive interest globally. So, you know, more, more of that is good for us. Yeah, th th there's been people mentioning the fact, could this be a publicity stunt? But, 
You know, having looked at the way he's progressed in this type of vehicle and one that was completely foreign to him uh, a, a year ago, um, it's amazing to see. And I watched it firsthand over in Namibia. You've seen a bit more. And the guy's here to compete. You know, if you think about it, that he's raced with his bum not more than 10 centimeters off the, of the tarmac for his entire life. You know, the, the highest he's ever been off the ground in a car before that was certainly in a road car. And now, suddenly, he's half a meter off the ground. There's no traction below the wheels. It's a whole different world that he's had to, I'd like to say, ascend to. It's, a, it's a, the next level of racing, really. You know, it's unpredictable. And I think that really appeals to him. But he's so competitive that he's not coming here just on a tour. He, he wants to really measure himself against the best in the world. And, you know, he is one of the best in the world on tarmac. And there's no illusion that he's, that he's just coming here for a tour. He's, he's coming to compete. Ben, I see you nodding there. Yeah, he's gonna uh, he's gonna enjoy when he gets in that car and disappears out of Jeddah. I think uh, the media has been a little bit of a surprise, even to him, to see that that level of interest exists on the Dakar as well as in other forms. You'd expect it at IndyCar. You'd expect it when you walk into Mon- Monte Carlo for Formula One. But perhaps from his perspective, he wouldn't expect that level of media intensity here. He's brought it with him. Um, we always have it anyway. But he's brought it with him too. When he gets in that car, the first couple of days will be nice and calm. But I think as the days progress, as those long days progress, as he's had to get out and dig himself out of sand a couple of times, the pressure is going to build on him. The uh, fatigue is going to build. How he deals with that will be very interesting. That is the making of a Dakar man, to come at the end of the day and still be kind of chilled. And he's got that Spanish temperament that we've seen over the last couple of years. Managing that will be interesting. Yeah, I saw you look with absolute shock there, Dax, when I mentioned the word publicity stunt, because as these gentlemen have just alluded to, it's certainly not the case. You know, I I think somewhere along the line, he's done 219 flights in 2019. He's an incredibly busy person and has found the time to do 7,200 kilometers of proper testing. Added to that, he's then driven the car between various places. Glenn was telling me this last night. But in actual proper race trim testing, 7,200 kilometers, which is effectively the entire... In fact, I think it's longer than the competitive part of this Dakar, which I think is the 5,000, something like that. That's how seriously he's taking it. And I was with him at some point when he was talking about who's driving what other car. And I won't mention the name. He said, oh, well, he, he won't do any... He won't do well in that particular car. He was really ticking off who he had to beat in order to finish on the podium. Uh, no, he's taking it very seriously. And, uh, yeah, who does he have to beat there, Voldo? I mean, everyone and anyone, but everyone except uh, his teammates, uh, we'd like to think. But, of course, uh, everyone is vying for that top spot. But y- you would say that this is the dream team that Toyota Gazoo Racing ha- have put together. Oh, absolutely. The, you couldn't really ask for a better team. And the, the Toyota Hilux certainly excels in these conditions. We've seen it before. Um, certainly the sandy patches that they've raced in, these four-wheel drives really do deliver. Um, the, there are some dark horses in the, in the mix, though. Um, we talk about his own teammates, but then, of course, uh, Yazid Raji is local. He's racing in his own backyard. He's also in a Toyota Hilux, and, and he's shown that he's certainly got the pace. So that's another name that he's certainly got ahead of him. Um, and then there's a couple of surprises. We don't know just how quick the minis are going to be. Um, like Glenn always likes to say, he'll tell us after stage one, maybe stage two. 
Yeah, I mean, the Minis have a very different regulation set. Those buggies, for instance, with a two-wheel drive, they are set to a completely different set of regulations to how the Toyota is built. Um, and over the years, the Dakar was going towards that buggy with the Argentine tracks, the WRC-type things we saw. But as we've come more to the sand and the dunes, that plays, for me, back into the hands of the four-wheel drive. The mini, mini four-wheel drive that we know, the Countryman, it doesn't have that development because they've been focusing on the buggy. The Toyota is absolutely top, top spec, has been developed throughout the last couple of years, even up to this point, new parts going on. So this is very much Toyota territory here. And as you said already, Dream Team, honestly, even without the Toyota shirt on my back, it's still they are the favourites. Toyota territory, and then they managed to achieve what they did over in Argentina, which, as you said, was uh, terrain suited uh, for the buggy. So, yeah, you'd have to put them as favourite stacks. I, th- I think so, but, you know, Peter Hansel never, never ever uh, rule him out. And remember, it's 14 days, and one metre to the left, there's a rock. One metre to the right, there's no rock. And depending which, which metre you choose is going to determine who's going to win this rally. Heartbreak for Janil de Villiers in 2019, Vold. It was in stage three. I think when he, when he crashed out, theoretically, he was leading the Dakar after stage two. And stage three, yeah, uh, nothing but heartbreak for, for the man from Stellenbosch. Yeah, it's been interesting for him. He's been on a hell of a journey as a, as a driver in the Dakar. You know, he's won it before and he's, he's hungry for another one. He's, he's no, made no bones about that. And the interesting thing is, of course, that he won the, the first race in South America, when, when we moved continents from Africa to South America, now we've moved continents again. So um, could this be easier? I think it's very likely. One of the things that's changed quite a lot is the co-drivers for all these drivers. They, they are, okay, Fernando's not experienced, but the other three have got lots of experience. But other than NASA, the, the other two have got new co-drivers. It's a big challenge this year with co-drivers. There's lots of new things going on uh, with the road books. And so I think that's going to play a huge part. It's not just about the person behind the wheel. It's actually about the person sitting next to them. And the one co-driver being Mark Comer, who will be sitting alongside Fernando Alonso. I mean, Mark Comer having had a heavy hand as far as the administration's concerned, former race director, um, route director. And I mean, d- does that play a massive role, Voldo? I mean, we're talking about a different continent, a different country, but surely if you've got those inner workings and you kind of know how this event plays out, that must give you uh, some type of advantage. Uh, it's, a, it's a massive advantage for, for um, Fernando to have Mark beside him in the car. And of course, not just from an organizational history point of view, but the fact that he's one Dakar on a bike. You know, the bikers have a different mindset. They're able to navigate differently. They read the terrain as well, you know. So it's, it's like having another driver next to you, someone with the experience of winning and reading the road and knowing dunes and so on. The only exception is he doesn't have the steering wheel in his hand. So, you know, um, Fernando can get a hell of a lot of good information from him on the fly. And I think um, there's a couple of other drivers that are quite jealous of Mark sitting next to uh, Fernando. Yeah, as you mentioned, Ben, uh, a whole host of new navigators, including Alex Harry coming in uh, for Dirk van Zitzewitz. Uh, Janiel de Villiers uh, having raced for decades, almost, uh, alongside the German. This time around, an entirely new face. I mean... For a relationship to have gone on that long, it's going to be some getting used to, you'd say, although they did have a lot of races so far this year. Yeah, they did quite well together. Um, I think the fact that they got into the car in Morocco and gelled immediately. I mean, they were happy. I've, I've never seen a crew come out of the car laughing and smiling as much as those two, especially if you know them, especially Janil. He doesn't laugh and smile a hell of a lot unless things are going very well with him. So, you know, immediately they gelled and it was clear from the outset that it was working in the car. And then things came together. They won the race in the end. So they've got a lot of momentum behind them at the moment. And, and you've got to back them as, as certainly a team that will perform in the top three four positions throughout the race.
Yo, I caught up with uh, Janil de Villiers uh, on day one as soon as we landed in Saudi Arabia. I think he had been here for two days already, and uh, this is what he had to say. Yes, uh, first time in Saudi Arabia. Uh, everybody's arrived here, so uh, it's a lot of excitement going on uh, for the first race here. It um, looks like looks like it's going to be interesting. Um, certainly going to be a new adventure for everybody. We just had our test today. All went well. Cars feeling uh, really good. So. Uh, now we just wait for the start on uh, Sunday morning. And uh, initial impressions so far of, of the country? Well, I mean, we've only been here for a day, but um, no, I mean, the terrain where we tested this morning looks pretty much, the, you know, looks very well suited to uh, Dakar Rally. Um, you know, we've been, uh, um, it was very friendly at the, the reception uh, that we got here. So, um, you know, so far so good. So uh, let's see what the next two weeks will bring. And uh, of course, now the biggest team ever for Toyota Gazoo Racing going in with four cars. Exciting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we've got a strong team. Um, NASA, Bernhardt, myself, and then, um, you know, Fernando joining us uh, this year. So um, it's a really, really good team. And, um, you know, hopefully we can do the job. Moving on to NASA Alatia. Three Dakar victories, one for Toyota Gazoo Racing. And, yeah, man, Dax, this is his terrain. It is indeed. I mean, he's he's won so many rallies in this part of the world. Uh, you know, the the not the Dakar rallies, but the um, what do you call them? The the rally raid type type events. He's got to be the favourite. Let's face it. Um, and you know, he's fast. And everybody says, oh, he's fast, but he makes mistakes. Well, he's won the rally three times. So, and he's finished second a number of times. So, yes, he has gone off at times. But, I mean, he's, he's good enough. And I, I, if you had to put money on it, I, I believe it's NASA that's going to win the rally. Yeah, I actually worked it out. It, it, he's won the Dakar rally every year. There's been a Rugby World Cup. So, 2011, 2015, and 2019. No Rugby World Cup in 2020. Uh, could he break that mold this summer on Ben? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There's, there's no doubt that he's in a car that he knows well. Uh, he's feeling very, very comfortable. It is an Olympic year, which is quite interesting, because don't forget, he's also a skeet shooter. So he's having to split his training a little bit. Um, but certainly up, up until now, it feels like the focus has been on making sure he wins here and how sweet that would be to win so close to home. It's not home. It's not exactly home, but he's got a border uh, with Saudi Arabia. And I think he would absolutely love to have a win in the backyard, it, you know, with comp- competition from all of the other uh, Middle Eastern countries around him, like Yazid from Saudi Arabia, al Qasimi as well from uh, Abu Dhabi. That would be very sweet. And like the other two, he'll be going into this race with a navigator you know is very well in Mathieu Bommel. Uh, Matthew is probably rated as one of the, the top navigators in the field out there. He's got a massive experience and the, the results speak for themselves. I mean, when him and NASA get in a car, the, the clever money's always on them. Um, Matthew, highly experienced, but also he admitted yesterday a little bit nervous about the changes in the regulations and, the, and when the road books are going to be issued and so on. They had a taste of this in Morocco and it was a bit tricky for them. Having to get the road book at the very last moment and, and going into the stage blind, there's going to be a lot of pressure on his shoulders. Yeah, to explain a little bit about how that works, previously big teams like Toyota, like Mini, had map men. Uh, so people who would be sitting uh, back in uh, home with Google Maps in front of them, they would get a copy of the road book and then they would plot the route on Google and look for ways to either make it faster or make it easier for the driver. So um, they might find a track that they could actually run along, which if you were in a car, you wouldn't see because there's a dune in the way. But over on an overhead view, you could plot it. 
there's no time to do that any longer because the roadbooks are coming so late. And therefore, for a navigator, there's much more about looking out the window, analysing the terrain, as well as reading the, the roadbook. And I think it will challenge those co-drivers a huge amount this year. It's an interesting change, that, Voldu, because it's not as if the past Dakar rallies were easy and it's named the world's toughest race for a reason, but it's just getting tougher and tougher. It's, it's trying to level the playing field a little bit because, like Ben said, the, the big teams had map men. The, the, the privateers and the other teams simply didn't, and they had to make do with it. So taking that uh, element away means that it's a much more level playing field, a much more fair race for everyone, which I think most people agree is, is the way that we want to see the sport uh, progressing. And I think David Castero's approach to this race is really one of it's supposed to be a true race. You know, it's, we, we take away all those elements and, and give the, the drivers, the crews, um, an equal playing field and, and let them have at it. And, and that's what we're going to get. It does rely upon David Castera's roadbook being absolutely spot on. And he faced criticism last year for missing a couple of caps. Also in Morocco, faced a little bit of criticism. So if it doesn't work, it falls on his shoulders. And he comes in as a whole new role as well, having taken over from Etienne Levine. So David Castera, I mean, not just the pressure of getting this right, but the move to Saudi Arabia, moving away from the dunes of Peru, because let's face it, it was just sand, sand and more sand on that side. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, it's a big change and a lot of pressure on his shoulders. But, you know, he's got experience. He's been around a while. And like Ben said, he, he did face some criticism, but maybe he's also learned from that. So let's see how things play out, play out now. We'll, we'll know in a couple of days. Yeah, well, we mentioned Nasser Al-Atiyah, another man that I caught up with uh, last night at the official press conference. Uh, every single media person in Saudi Arabia that has any inkling or interest in anything on wheels uh, was out there in full force, and rightly so, because it is a massive event. And this is uh, what our very own Nasser al had to say to me. I'm so happy, you know, to be here in Saudi, you know, and uh, uh, it's a new Dakar for everybody. Uh, of course, we are uh, sky, uh, st- um, We are so happy, you know, to be here, you know, and, uh, and uh, yesterday we have a really uh, good test, you know, and uh, uh, it's look everything uh, running very, very well, you know. Yes, uh, I hope, you know, to, to win this race because it's uh, in our region and uh, we try to do our best. And uh, what a team to add it because he's putting out uh, four cars, uh, the best of the best. Yes, I think we have the best driver, you know. We have the four driver uh, can really uh, have a, a good, good uh, result, you know. But, you know, we need, we understand, you know, Dakar Rally is really uh, strong and uh, there is a lot of uh, surprise for everybody. But, okay, we are well prepared and uh, we are here for win. Finally, you had some very kind words to say about your new teammate in Fernando. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fernando is really nice to to have him, you know, in our team, you know, on Toyota Gazores, you know, and uh, yeah, and uh, I think he he's learning very, very fast, and uh, he will be also the the black horse here in uh, in this Dakar. The black horse or dark horse, Fernando Alonso, he is out to win. It's certainly not a publicity stunt. Let's talk a, a little bit about uh, the route itself, Valdu. Uh, kicks off on Sunday, which is a Monday, theoretically, here in Saudi Arabia. Uh, the week starts over here on this side, but uh, yeah, it's uh, an interesting couple of stages uh, to welcome us. Yeah, I think it's... Um 
like you say, interesting it certainly is. We're going to head up the coast, uh, on the west coast, up the Red Sea to uh, Al-Waj is the first stop. Um, and it starts with a bang. I think we're in for 390-odd kilometers, 363, thereabouts, 350-odd kilometers of, of special stage distance, uh, even though it's a little bit further to Al-Waj itself. Um, and and the organizers have made no bones about this. It's There's no easy stages on this, on this Dakar. And... Um, I think the crews are going to have to wake up and find a rhythm very, very quickly. Uh, they, the organizers referred to the first stage as a, a sort of a mini condensed version of the entire Dakar. There's a mix of gravel tracks and small dunes and basically everything they can expect to find later on. And then from uh, Alwaj, we go further north to the, the future city, as they call it, of Neom, uh, also on the Red Sea coast. Uh, by all accounts, quite an interesting place with lovely terrain around it, mountainous um, pieces of rock sticking up through the sandy terrain. So looking forward to seeing that myself. Yeah, it's an interesting place, Saudi Arabia. I mean, not many people have been here. Few, Many have, but it's not too much a tourist destination, but they are trying to get themselves on the map as far as that's concerned. Uh, we've been here for, what, three days now, Ben? I've thoroughly enjoyed my time here. Yeah, the reason, one of the reasons why we're here is that uh, the Minister for Sport and Tourism uh, is a passionate motor racer himself. He's won the Dubai 24 Hours, uh, raced for Black Falcon, um, done lots of VLN and all this kind of stuff. And he absolutely, obviously loves motorsports. So uh, initially, the first project was the Race of Champions. He then managed to sign a great deal with Formula E to bring them and we'll visit the Formula E track. I think the race finishes actually at the Formula E track, um, the Dakar in what, 14, 13 days time or something like this. And then obviously signing with Dakar for a, a long-term agreement to be here as well. So uh, sport seems to be the way that they are trying to integrate themselves into the Western world uh, and providing their territory um, for us to, to play in. And as far as I've spoken to one of the helicopter pilots uh, already, and he said, this is spectacular, just stunning to see from the helicopter and therefore should provide the same images uh, that we've seen over the last couple of years. Yeah, and it's your second time here because you're here earlier from a racing perspective. And, and how was that? Uh, yeah, so I did race of champions in Riyadh. Uh, Riyadh, a bit more of a westernized city. Um, the culture, they are so accommodating to uh, the Westerners coming in. You know, we're heard, we hear from the outside how hard it's going to be to get into the country. We had no problems. I don't know about you guys, but I walked straight through. Uh, not a problem at all. And so far, everybody seems to be very happy that we're here. Yeah, they certainly are. And uh, I mean, we're doing a little tally on our way here because we keep this logbook as to how many countries we've visited. And, and Valdi's got it in our heads, which I absolutely love, is that you have to have more countries than the years you've been alive. So if you've seen more countries than your age, then you're winning. Um, Dux, I know you're not 71 yet, but this is your 71st country. No, it's now we worked it out. It's my 74th country. 74? Yeah, we were just working out now on a, on a more professional thing called been or been there or something and you can count it up it turns out 74 D which ones did you miss out on can you remember um i think it was gibraltar was one of them that i'd forgotten i'd gone to and i've which other one poland poland i'd forgotten but if i just go back to racing for two seconds of course you know we talk about the drivers and obviously you've got to be a good driver but i think navigating is even more important than that and mark como with his experience on a bike i believe that they are more flexible than a car navigator because a car navigator has got a lot more time to look down at notes and see things remember if you're riding a bike you're glancing down and the rest of the time you're reading that terrain all the time and i believe that that is going to be a huge benefit for in his case in this case fernando 
um, to avoid things and to choose the right dune to go up and where to go up and, and take it from there. So I, I, I think that Mark Comer, if you talk about the, the winningest driver, will probably be NASA, the winningest navigator, I think it's going to be Mark Comer with these variable conditions this year. Dax, it's uh, a pleasure to have you on board and so glad that uh, you have joined us uh, once again over at a Dakar Rally, this Dakar 2020. Uh, Hannes Fisser has just joined us. Uh, he is one of our teammates from the awesome foursome along with Raymond Hapster. Hannes, I'm going to pop the mic over to you quickly because uh, the ladies back home can't wait to hear your voice. Uh, what's your experience been of Saudi so far, three days in? It's been interesting. Um, very interesting indeed. I haven't had a brandy in three days. And I'm not going to have one for the next two weeks, it seems. So, uh, but it's safer that way, I think. No, certainly so. And uh, yeah, how, what are your expectations for Dakar 2020? Well, as far as the race is concerned, I think um, it could go any way. It's new for every. Uh, it could could go either way. I mean, it's new for all the competitors and navigators. Um, but we all know that NASA starts every race as the favourite, and I think it's no different. But I also think that Janil is in a good headspace. I think um, he's happy with the car. He's just coming fresh off the uh, victory in Morocco. So obviously as a local and a South African, I would like to see Janil do well as well. Okay, quick roundup uh, as we wrap up uh, the very first episode of the latest Inside the Game by Raider Media, the Dakar Rally edition for 2020. Ben, your prediction, who's going to win this? Cars? Yeah. NASA. Hannes? NASA Janil. Let's <laughs> <laughs> send over to Dax. I already said that it was going to be NASA, didn't I? So I can't change my mind now. Okay, three going NASA. Yeah, well, do. There's nowhere else to go at this point. It would be silly. So, yeah, money's on NASA. Okay, and we've got to hear from our producer, Ray. Ray, who do you reckon? Um, listening to your opinions, um, I will go with Hannes, and I think um, the steady and. Um, steady bet would be with uh, Janil. I think he'll, his calmness through this terrain might uh, just come good. No, no. He said, Nasa Janil. That's, uh, it was one word. Uh, I'm going to go with Nasa as well. I think it'd be hard to find someone that can better him uh, and stop him from claiming his fourth Dakar rally title. Gents, it's been a pleasure. We're going to be doing this uh, throughout the course of the world's toughest race. Every day you can catch us. Ben, thanks for making your debut on the show. Thank and you. Uh, yeah, excited uh, to have you join us. I'm really, really glad to be back in the Dakar and to join you guys as a team. Thank you very much. Uh, keep listening. We'll be back uh, after stage one. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Inside the Game. Brought to you by Radar Media.